All right, people starting to go in. Hope everybody's doing all right. We're going to get started about 8 o'clock. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Ole Miss LSU game. We're also going to talk about the around college football, which could be a little bit of a tricky thing, you know. Yeah, I'm expecting Alabama to come out guns a-blazing, but if you told me they couldn't stop Mississippi State after what we've seen the last three weeks, yeah, you know, I'd kind of believe you. Um, so, hey, Caroline, um, we're going to start about eight. I'm going to um, give you speaking power. Let's see, I think I did that. There's Derek. All right. Hey, Caroline. What's going on? Not a lot. We're getting ready to get started in two minutes about an Ole Miss LSU space. Awesome. I I love it. I figured you needed to be here. Well, I appreciate the invite. I'm so happy to be here. It's going to be a fun weekend. Yeah. Um, Just to let you know, Derek Bandygriff is also here. He's going to be speaking today as well. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Derek. Hey, how's it going? Going good. Um, Caroline is our Locked On LSU host. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. So she is the expert of everything Bayou Bengals. All right. Or, or at least I'm going to say you are, Caroline. Yeah, I appreciate that That uh, very nice introduction. I don't know if I would necessarily call myself an expert, more of just a uh, rabid fan. Um, but, you know, either one. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a rabid fan, you will fit in well here. Perfect. This is my safe space. These are my people. Yeah. So, um, once again, um, Ole Miss has a night game against Texas A&M at Texas A&M. So, we only played 11 o'clock at home um, and get night games on the road. So, that's awesome. That's right. My my first game this season, and actually my first game back in Baton Rouge, my first LSU game since the national championship in 2019 – I went back for the Tennessee game. I was like, seriously? This was the eighth <laughs> 11 a.m. game this century at LSU, and it has to be the one that I come back for. Oh, good grief. Oh, Nothing worse than an 11 a.m. You know, eighth this century. I think we've had eight this year already. Yeah. And, yes, I'm aware we've only played like seven it. games. Yeah, every important game on TV feels like it's at 11 a.m. And if we play a non-conference game that – we get a 3 a.m. opposite of the 2.30 game, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whatever. I have noticed, I think that ESPN's trying to push back against Fox's big noon kickoff, yeah. and they're oh, putting yeah. better games on at 11 a.m., which I understand the strategy. Just as a fan, I don't appreciate it. Yeah, yeah it, it's one of those things where I guess TV, TV networks are like, well, we're going to pay you all this money, but you don't get to complain yeah. about where we put you. Yeah, that's right. I'm I'm putting you on TV and I'm paying you a ton of money. Deal yeah. with it. If you don't get the tailgate right off, that's not my problem. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, we'll start off with this, Caroline. Why can't LSU field a punt? That <laughs> is a, the golden question. And I, I, I said this probably pretty overreactively after the Florida State game. I said, if I don't see special teams improvements, like not just improvements, like not making those dumb mistakes that we saw against Florida State, two muffed punts, blocked field goal, blocked extra point, 
I was like, if I don't see all of those gone, erased, then I want Brian Polian out of here. I said that after week one, and I looked back, I was like, that's probably a little hasty. Um, but week after week after week, it's something else. Like I've said, out of every single potential possible special teams mistake that you could make in the history of football, LSU has probably made it at least once, but probably twice so far this season. It is astonishing to me how awful special teams has been, and it's it's not like they're putting scrubs out there on punt returns or in special team situations. I mean, Jack Besh was LSU, one of LSU's leading receivers last season. Jack Besh is one of LSU's best receivers in this really stacked wide receiver room. He can catch a ball offensively, but he cannot field the punt. He can't catch a kickoff. He dropped the opening kickoff against Tennessee. It is – I have to look at that and say if you're a really good offensive player but you can't catch a ball on special teams, that's on the coach. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it starts out when you look at LSU and from the outside looking in, LSU is fairly decent on both two sides of the ball and just abjectly horrible on the other. And the other is costing them possessions. And it's costing them games. Yeah. It, it, that cost them the Florida State game. I mean, starting the season 1-0 is a completely different story. I mean, it, LSU lost by one point. You make that extra point. You make that field goal, and you turn something into those possessions that they dropped, those muff punts. I mean, that's a completely different ball game. You know, the special teams mistakes didn't cost them the game against Tennessee. I mean, that was a very, very lopsided game. But still, I mean, I I didn't think LSU was going to win that game, but I at least had hope that they could be competitive against Tennessee. Um, but once they dropped that kickoff from the very second before the clock even, you know, struck one second down, I thought they're losing this game. I mean, if you just handed Tennessee seven points, I mean, it's going to get really ugly. So that's, it's unfortunate that LSU is trying to figure itself out identi- like identity wise and special teams just keeps shooting themselves in the foot. They just aren't taking the, the easy gimme point. They're not taking the easy gimme possessions. They're just handing them away and it's making their job more difficult. Yeah, and just so everybody knows, me and Caroline are um, filming our crossover episode for a podcast tomorrow. So this is a little pre-homework we're doing right now for what we're going to talk about tomorrow, likely. Scout team. <laughs> What's that? I said scout team, scouting you yeah. out for our official crossover tomorrow. Yeah, it's a service team. Yeah, service team. Yeah, exactly. Um, Derek, tell me in this game, talk for just a second about some games in this rivalry that mean something to you. Because I think we're going to go back in time for a little bit on the space and talk about some, some big moments in the series. Because this series can be really, really special. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure Caroline can talk about it a little bit too, you know, but uh, for me, an Ole Miss fan, been an Ole Miss fan my entire life, you know, there, there's two games you look forward to every single year. It's the LSU game and it's the Mississippi State game. And uh, quite frankly, over the years, we've had more important games with LSU than we have Mississippi State. That always seems to mean something. Um, me and you talked a little bit earlier today about that 1997 uh, LSU game in the 2001 LSU game, you know, uh, and unfortunately, probably the best atmosphere I ever experienced for an LSU Ole Miss game is 2003 in Oxford. You know, I know that's going to make a lot of these Ole Miss fans cringe here in this space, you know, but uh, that that night in Oxford, uh, Eli Manning senior year, you know, the West was on the line. Whoever won that game was going to Atlanta and uh, you know, you have 
Jonathan Nichols, the best kicker in the country. And uh, I've never heard the vault as loud as I did that night when Travis Johnson had that pick six. Like, he, even that Alabama game, like, that's the only thing that rivals it uh, when we pick that ball off against Alabama to, to uh, beat them back in 2014, I believe it was. Uh, that atmosphere that night, though, like, that, that just kind of shows you, even in a loss, how it sticks with you, how big of a rivalry this really is between these two teams and, and how this game always seems to mean something one way or another. Yeah, and I think it was on three on that website today where um, somebody did research, and when both teams um, had won more than seven games, like Ole Miss was a leader 11-7 in the series. Really? But the thing, yeah, but the thing that scares me is in the late 50s when Ole Miss was at its peak. That I mean, whenever you look back and yeah. say the glory days, LSU mm-hmm. was 4-1 and one in that stretch against Ole Miss. Um, so in 2014 happened and I know there's been some situations where Ole Miss was able to bounce back like 2009, 2015. Yeah. But it feels like if anybody's going to rip our hearts out, it's going to be LSU and it's going to be in Tiger State. Yeah. I mean, always seems to be the way it is, right? Those there's, there's two places for Ole Miss fans that are kind of, uh, bugaboos for us a little bit. I mean, we, we've traditionally played well in Tiger Stadium. That's always one you always look at. And the other one is when you go to Fayetteville. Those are the two places for Ole Miss fans that you you kind of grit your teeth and just try to get through them whenever they come up. Yeah. Go ahead, Caroline. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, that's something that a lot of LSU fans look at the Ole Miss game sort of as a benchmark game every year because even if it has been lopsided, it's still going to be a competitive game. And it's still, like you mentioned, it's still a game that LSU fans look at and circle at the beginning of the season because I think it it normally falls right around the halfway point and right around the point where, you know, either team could have had a disappointing loss or either team could have a ton of momentum. You know, in this case, Ole Miss has all the momentum on their side. They're making the West very interesting. For LSU in such a, a new era of LSU football where I think the team itself and we as fans, we're all just trying to figure out what this team is. I look to Ole Miss this year as I have years in the past as a benchmark of, okay, where does LSU really rank among some of the top players in the SEC? You know, especially, you know, now with Alabama with a loss to Tennessee, this game is going to be really interesting to see where the rest of the West goes. Because LSU has that one SEC loss to Tennessee. Alabama has the same thing. Ole Miss is sitting pretty in the SEC West undefeated. So this game could make things so interesting in the West, whichever way it goes. If LSU wins, now Ole Miss has one loss, LSU has one loss, Alabama has one loss, and it's anybody's game in the SEC West. If Ole Miss gets the win here, well, then that Alabama-Ole Miss game gets so much more interesting. So I view it as a benchmark for us right now and also as a really interesting potential shakeup in the SEC West. Yeah, and I think it's basically as the LSU old, the older fans at LSU. But when Ole Miss is good, whenever they're viewed as – let's just say there's seven by their name, so let's just say elite. Whenever they say that this is a special game to LSU fans. It is special. I mean, it goes back all the way to, you know, Halloween night, Billy Cannon, his Heisman run. I mean, it is it's a matchup that is very steeped in tradition. And also because 
It's two really fun fan bases and two historically good football teams. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, Caroline, whenever you look at this game, what are what are the keys for LSU? If LSU plays well, what happens? I think that we need to see LSU's offense play against Ole Miss like we saw it play against Florida. I am not convinced that this LSU offense has found its whatever it was missing, that it, you know, that something happened after that Tennessee game and offensively they were just able to figure everything out because Jaden Daniels, a quarterback who's looked incredibly timid all season long, all of a sudden is slinging a 54-yard touchdown pass. Now, does that make me feel good about this LSU offense and the direction in which it's heading? Absolutely. But my question is, okay, was that a fluke? Was that just LSU's offense able to pop off against kind of an abysmal Florida defense? Or did they find something? Did Jaden Daniels find this confidence with his receivers, the trust with his receivers? Did Kayshawn Booty, you know, a player who was so lauded, but so much going into this season, who didn't really do anything so far for LSU, had a 100-plus yard reception game against Florida, was that what he and Jaden Daniels needed to build chemistry and to trust each other? And is this an LSU offense that's going to put up, you know, 40 points a game moving forward. I don't know the answer to that, but I think that if they do show that offense against Ole Miss, they have a really good chance at winning this football game. And I think you got to continue to see what LSU has been so good at most of the season, and that's beating you up front defensively. I mean, you know, the offense through six weeks was trying to figure out its identity. It was trying to figure out what it was. And it was the defense that carried this LSU team to, you know, its record now. You know, it was a defense, you know, forcing a, a sack fumble and a scoop and score against Auburn for LSU to kind of get things moving offensively um, against Auburn. It was the defense that got things moving. It was the defense that was able to hold off um, some of these these teams earlier on LSU's schedule. That's how LSU beat Mississippi State, was they beat Mississippi State at the line of scrimmage and they got pressure on Will Rogers. And if you take the passing game away from Will Rogers, well, he's got really got nothing else. So that's how LSU has been successful so far this season is beating you up defensively. You know, that tandem of pass rushers between Ali Gay and B.J. Ojolari could stack up with some of the best in the country. So I think if you stay consistent defensively and you have a repeat uh, performance offensively like we saw against Florida, I think those are the keys for LSU to win. Okay, perfect. Derek, you told me a stat today um, of quarterbacks that have gone against Florida this season. You want to repeat that for everybody? Uh, yeah, uh, we, we were talking about Jaden Daniels and of course, kind of like you were talking about Carolina, the incredible game he had down there in Gainesville. Yeah. Uh, I, I started looking at, uh, quarterbacks that, that have played Florida and, and particularly in Gainesville this year, Missouri's Brady Cook threw for 220 yards down in Gainesville. That's the second highest total so far this season for him. Eastern Washington's Gunnar Talkington threw for 250 yards, which is also his second highest of the entire year, playing an entirely FCS schedule outside of Florida. And then, of course, we all know how good Hendon Hooker is, right? And and that's Knoxville, I know that. But he still threw for 349, which was his second highest before he absolutely lit up Alabama this past Saturday. Um, That It just kind of seems to be a trend. Uh, quarterbacks lighting up the Gators right now. It, 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 they're they're really having trouble on the back end of their defense. Apparently, um, you know, quarterbacks are having either their best or second best games of the year so far against Florida. Uh, so that, that doesn't really seem to be a coincidence there. Um, but again, Jaden Daniels. I mean, he's 
obviously flashed plenty these last couple weeks. You know, against Tennessee, I think he threw 300 yards that game too, if I'm not mistaken. He did, and, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but at the same time, I think he threw it 45 times because kind of like you're referring to at the beginning of the space, you know, they, they were behind basically from the opening kickoff there with that fumble. Uh, so, you know, they, they come out and slung a little bit and, and he has looked a little bit better. But I, I just think this weekend that still has to be Ole Miss's game plan defensively, make Jay Daniels beat you in the air. And, uh, you know, because that's kind of the strength of our defense. We're really, really good on the back end. We have all those safeties. Igbenosin's been so good at corner, you know, and A.J. Finley is playing like one of the best safeties in the SEC, quite frankly, the way he's able to come up and make stops and still defend in the past back end. So that's kind of what I'm looking at this weekend, see how we defend Jaden Daniels, make sure that we make him beat us with his arm rather than his legs. And that's okay. how a lot of teams have had had success against LSU. And to your point, I have my notes in front of me, I'm doing you know my my scout team for Florida. Florida's defense ranks 98th nationally in yards per play. They're giving up an average of about six yards per play, 125th in the nation, and third down conversions allowed. And they're giving up 412 yards per game, good for 99th in the country. So to your point, Florida's defense is abysmal. It's 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 been so bad, and and Napier will get that thing turned around. He's a really good coach, a really good recruiter in this part of the country, and all. But he's he's just kind of kind of really going through the motions this year, trying to get something to work for him. And yeah. that's that's a, a first year head coach. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a first year head coach is trying to figure out what you got and working with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Caroline, talk real quick about um, Josh Williams and um, John Emery. Yeah, it's a really solid running back duo. And we talk a lot about Jaden Daniels kind of having his breakout game against Florida. And I think that's kind of overshadowing what Josh Williams was able to do. Um, Armani Goodwin was the starting running back over Josh Williams. um, And he was he got injured. So he's I believe he's out against Ole Miss. I think he'll be out for the next couple of weeks. Um, So when he went out with injury, that really gave Josh Williams the ability to shine and kind of step up. Um, so those two, it's a, it's a really solid run game that I also think can be a little bit wishy-washy at times because LSU was a fairly one-dimensional offense. We're seeing the passing game start to evolve over the past couple of weeks. Like you mentioned, 300 yards against Tennessee, 350 against Florida. So this offense relied a lot on the run game, but that lied a lot with Jaden Daniels. I mean, there are countless games. I want to say all but one, maybe two games where he was the leading rusher on the day. You're not going to win very many games that way. But with Jaden Daniels getting more comfortable with the offensive line, the offensive line finding more consistency, he was able to kind of you know, pass the ball around or you know, hand the ball off and let the running game do its thing. So that's a, it's a really solid running back duo. And Josh Williams really shined last week against Florida. And I think that was a breakthrough game for him to kind of show himself and uh, Mike Denbrock, LSU's offensive coordinator, that – he can he can carry the rock just as good as Noah Kane, just as good as Armani Goodwin, or the rest of these running backs in the room. And Noah Kane's another another name to look for, a Penn State transfer that we didn't really know what we were getting. You know, as LSU fans, didn't know what we were getting in Noah Kane, uh, but he's been a really reliable, really tough running back um, who's just a really big-bodied guy that can just bulldoze defenders. So he's been fun to watch too. Okay, like thirty thousand foot view, Carolina and yep. LSU's football team was Florida an aberration. Or has there been consistent growth over four weeks and maybe the score just didn't show? I think that 
You know, that's it's funny that you asked that because when I was doing um, before the Auburn game, they asked one word to describe LSU season so far. And I said progress because we have seen progress week after week, albeit it's not linear. Like we've seen some areas improve. For example, last week against Florida, we saw the passing game improve. We saw progress from the passing game. We saw things from Jaden Daniels that we have not season, seen all season long. And to be honest with you, I don't think Arizona State fans saw that in 2020 and 2021. But also the defense took a little bit of a step back. The defense gave up an 81-yard touchdown run to Anthony Richardson. Now credit to Anthony Richardson. I mean, he's huge and he's difficult to tackle and he's fast and that's what he does best is run the football. But that was not one of LSU's best defensive games. So there is progress week week after week. I think you're seeing this team kind of click a little bit more because let's be honest, you know, LSU had 39 scholarship players in a bowl game last year. So they had to do a lot of recruiting in the transfer portal. And you got a lot of true freshmen starting, you know, got a, a true freshman tandem on both tackle positions and Will Campbell and John Emery, um, excuse me, Emery Jones. Um, so it's, this team's growing and this team's learning each other and it's building chemistry. So I do see progress week after week. I do see this team getting better. If that, if this LSU team in week eight plays Florida state now, I think they beat Florida state. Um, but then again, it's not very linear. You know, we see improvements one week and then we see another unit that's been really solid look atrocious one week. And I'm like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> well, Lane Kiffin is known for whenever you have a weakness on defense, he will keep probing it and probing it and probing it over and over again. Mm-hmm. What do you expect that probe is going to be to start the LSU game Saturday? That's a good question that I don't even know if I can I can answer that. Because I would, I lean the secondary, maybe, um, just because that has been a, a unit that's been fairly up and down. But also, it's a unit that's looked really solid. Like against Mississippi State, they were not missing tackles. They were bullying up those Mississippi State receivers downfield. So there have been some games where I'm really impressed with what I see from the secondary. And then there are some games, for example, against Auburn, where I'm like, what in the world? Why can't they make a tackle? And then I could say, okay, well, maybe, you know, the the front four didn't get a ton of pressure on Hendon Hooker against Tennessee. They didn't get a ton of pressure on Anthony Richardson in Gainesville on Saturday night. So maybe is that unit taking a step back? Is, you know, is Harold Perkins, who's a true freshman who stepped in for Mason Smith on the defensive line when he got injured against Florida State, and they haven't been using him very much the past couple of weeks. So is his absence and, like, his lack of contribution, is that what's leading to the front four not looking as dominant as it has earlier in the season? So you say what's going to be the weakest part of LSU's defense I don't know because it's been different every week, but I will say that that's a, if you're going to find a weakness on LSU's team, I wouldn't look to the defense being that weakness, but the weakness on defense that's changed every week. It's been a roller coaster of emotions. I'll tell you that. All right. Does anybody else have any questions that um, for Caroline that they, they just want to ask? I'm not the quickest on the draw out here, but I'll (laughs) gladly do that. I'll go ahead and piggyback off Caroline real quick as far as what Ole Miss is going to try, come out and try to do. You're going to see 13 runs in the first 15 plays. Lane Kiffin's going to come out and try to try to set the tone early running the ball against that defense. And that's – I mean, if I am Lane Kiffin, I don't know if that's the best way for, for Ole Miss to win. I don't know if that's the best path to victory. But I do say that, understanding that 
Ole Miss has probably got the best running back duo in the country. Um, and so that that's going to be a really tough run game to stop. But I will say that LSU up front um, has been good at stopping the run at yep. times. And then at sometimes not. Like against Florida, Florida was able to run the ball a good bit. And against Auburn, they pretty much stuffed the run completely but couldn't stop the passing game. So yep. I wouldn't – if I'm Lane Kiffin, I, I would test the waters, see what LSU defense you're going to get on Saturday. And with that running back duo, why not use it? Yeah, well, that's exactly what I think he's going to come out and do, you know. And it, and it may come to the point where he has to attack the secondary. But mm-hmm. but Lane Kiffin right now, he's he's probably got it in his mind, kind of like you said, that he does have the best running back duo in the country. And that offensive line's playing so, so good these last few weeks. Yeah. And, uh, and so he's probably going to take that opportunity to at least see if he can come out and set the tone early. Now, Caroline, um, real quick, I'll piggyback off that a little bit. Is LSU being stout against the run in between the tackles and maybe outside they're a little bit weaker? Because Anthony Richardson and um, um, what's his name, Montreal Johnson or whatever at Florida, they were both outside zone plays. They busted on LSU. Uh, so what does that look like? Is it like just if you try and just pound your fist against a brick wall, is that like a little bit of a sticking point for the other opposing team? Yeah, I would say, and you mentioned outside versus inside. Outside, I would say, is, is probably their weaker point, and that's something that Brian Kelly even mentioned. Um, I mentioned Harold Perkins earlier, a true freshman that has been an absolute beast defensively for LSU. has been kind of a utility player defensively. He can you know, play on the defensive line. He's also been playing a good bit of linebacker, but he took Harold Perkins out of that Tennessee game because he said he's not as gifted on the outside. He can't play outside in the numbers. He can stuff you up front, and you know, uh, inside he can stop the run, but that's where he kind of lacks a little bit is on the outside and I don't know if I completely agree with with that line of thinking of you know if you can't play on the outside then I'm not going to play him at all but I would say that LSU defensively is probably a little bit weaker on the outside just because they don't have I don't think the depth especially with injuries to be able to be spread out and that's why Tennessee gave them so many fits because Tennessee is such a, a widespread offense and I think that was that's not where LSU is going to get you. Yeah, I think people need to realize also if Lane Kiffin goes as fast as he wants to go, they primarily want to run inside zone. So when this offense mm-hmm. is going lightning fast, they're running it up the middle because even if the defense stops it, all the players are right there to get back in position and do it again. So these outside plays will take a little bit more time. Um, players getting back in position. So instead of snapping the ball in 21 seconds, you're snapping it in 24 seconds, and the offense could go a little bit slower. LSU has more time to get ready. That's right. that's just something to watch in my opinion. And that was something that also gave uh, LSU fits was the speed of Tennessee's offense, was it was difficult for substitutions. It was difficult getting off the field, and that's what Tennessee does very well. And Ole Miss as well, just being such a quick offense is being able to draw penalties for their opponent because they just cannot keep up with it. So I think that's something to keep an eye on as well is what style of offense does Matt House, LSU's defensive coordinator, he's a very creative defensive coordinator. It's been fun to see what he's been doing with this personnel, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how he adapts to, you know, you're not going to be able to make that many substitutions, but the personnel doesn't necessarily lend itself to being the most versatile defense. So that'll be interesting to see as well. Yeah. So against Tennessee, did they try to substitute in the middle of the play? Did they get caught doing that? 
they did, and they got uh, they got penalized for it because they just couldn't get <laughs> off the field. Too many men yeah. on the field, which is interesting if you follow that LSU-Tennessee rivalry. Back in 2010, that's exactly how LSU beat Tennessee was too many men on the field in the final play. So, yeah, they just couldn't get off the field fast enough, and that's something that has plagued so many Tennessee opponents. Um, but also it's just, you know, that's the speed of the offense. That's what LSU is going to be faced with on Saturday with Lane Kiffin's offense as well. Yeah. yeah, whenever you say that, that tells me that the depth might not be there defic- defensively for LSU, that their top-end talent is pretty good, but they get nervous if they're they're trying to force substitutions in the middle of the drive. Would that, would that be agreeable? I think that's a, that's a fair assessment, and I don't think that that would, should come as a shock to anybody, to any LSU fan, because depth was a problem on this roster on all sides of the ball going into this season. And yeah, you're right that they have really, really good key players. Like I mentioned, BJ Ojolari, Ali Gay, the guys up front. Those are names that you know, household names in college football. Once you look down the roster, they just don't have the bodies there. And also getting plagued with injuries throughout the season, that's hurt them more and more. Just you get you know, you don't have enough personnel. So I think that is a very fair assessment that although they have good, damn good players on the defense, um, the, the depth just isn't there. So um, just spitballing here, it might be in, it might behoove Ole Miss to have some seven, eight point drives with tempo um, against LSU Saturday to get those first teamers off the field whenever they need a rest because the next one should drop down a little bit. I would agree, and I also would say, I mean, I don't, I don't know how tempo could ever hurt a team, especially when you have an offense that's able to keep up with it, that can do it. If you have linemen that are able to, you know, withstand, you know, twenty-five seconds in between each play, um, I don't know how that would hurt any team. I mean, I've, I've seen that's how LSU's offense finds its groove is when it goes up tempo. Of course, Ole Miss's offense finds out so much success when you can't keep up with it. Tennessee's, so on and so forth. So, I don't see a scenario where tempo would hurt many offenses as long as you have the players that can keep up with it. Yeah, should be pretty good. Um, you got anything, Derek? Well, just, just kind of on your point earlier about all of the inside zones that we run, that's kind of what I was thinking about when Caroline was talking about it and all. Uh, but that's that's kind of the identity of this offense right now. We we run a bunch of inside zones. That's kind of our bread and butter. When you, mm-hmm. We get the center and the guards letting their – getting there and do our dirty work for us, you know, and then that kind of goes back to setting the tone and kind of like you talked about, not, not really getting to the outside as much that, that finesse uh, running game, but we sit there and we pound you and we try to go up tempo and we try to get those big guys tired because our, our guys do it every, every single week in practice, you know, Uh, and not that they're used to it. I'm sure they get tired too, but it's a lot easier when you're, the one doing the hitting instead of getting hit. And and that's kind of what Lane's done this year. You know, he's always been a tempo kind of guy last year or, or really last couple of years. You saw it more through the air with the passing game. And it's the same kind of deal, except he's just kind of flip-flopped a little bit and he's got it on the ground a little bit. And uh, that's kind of what's driving our offense. And, frankly, I think it helps our defense a little bit more. I haven't gone back and actually looked this up, but – you would think as much as we run the ball, even though we're hitting the big plays, 40-yard runs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that it's actually keeping our defense on the field a little bit less just due to possessions, I would think. Like I said, I haven't looked that up, but uh, but that would be one way to keep your defense fresh up there and run the ball, even if you're going up tempo over and over again. And, and that would make sense, you know, 
running the ball. It'll take more time off the clock. But yeah. just kind of knowing what I know about LSU and then hearing you talk about just how you know gifted and just big and physical uh, Ole Miss is on the offensive line, I think that this is going to be a game where former offensive linemen are probably salivating at the mouth, but just a casual observer of football is probably like, man, this game's boring. Yeah, I know, and it's and it's really weird to talk like that about Ole Miss from what we've seen the last several years from this offense, you know, uh, even going back to the latter part of Hugh Freeze and Matt Luke and all that, you know, uh, you know, it's just a team that really does just line up and try to run it down your throat, and as long as you let us do it, Kiffin's not going to get away from it. That's how we run for 448 yards last week. You know, he, he wants to come out and he wants to run the ball and put Jackson Dart in good situations to make a throw. That's that's one thing he has done really, really well this year is picking his spots, and Dart doesn't always make the best decision, but you see week over week he's getting better and better and better at his decision-making. Yeah, th- oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, the one thing that I'm worried about, I actually, since you brought that up, is Jackson Dart in Tiger Stadium. There's a chance for a Bo Wallace-type situation in 2014. Oh, come uh, on, Jack- Steven. Don't do that to me, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put that evil on anybody out there, but that atmosphere, if you let it, can affect yeah, you. It, it can get to you in a hurry. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess my, my question for you all is, just the the expectations for Jackson Dart going into the season, and I know he wasn't named you know bona fide starter from the beginning, but I I at least assumed that he would be named the starter. But your expectations at the beginning of the season when he was named the starter until now, how what is the the temperature like with Jackson Dart in Oxford? He was always oh. the starter. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 the quarterback competition was a charade. Basically, they just didn't um, want yeah. to transfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but. I mean, Jackson Dart was recruited for this game. Starting now was the reason they recruited Jackson Dart. Because let's be yeah. honest, the previous seven games, they would have had the same record if Luke Altmyer started. Yeah. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah. So starting bad. now is why they recruited Jackson Dart. It's it's the upside and the ceiling is why you go with Jackson mm-hmm. Dart. Me, me and Stevens talked about it a hundred times throughout the offseason and all, you know what I mean? You watch him play and you watch him throw the ball and not only throw it, but run it. You see how athletic he is, too. You know, mm-hmm. rushed for over 100 yards last year or uh, last week. And, uh, but, but you see some of the throws he makes, you know, 20, 25, 30 yards downfield that are just thrown on a rope, getting right over a defender. And then you see some that, uh, I believe it was the Kentucky game, if I remember right, where he just missed basically two touchdowns going over the middle because he didn't get it quite over the linebacker. You know, but that's mm-hmm. kind of what you deal with with a 19-year-old. You know, he's he's still a really, really young quarterback, but you mm-hmm. see how high his ceiling can be, and you know that if Ole Miss is going to reach the heights of what we're set up to and, and hoping to do this year, that's the guy you got to have in there, a guy that can make those kind of special throws. Yeah. Um, anyway, everybody around, we're going to put a replay up on the YouTube page. I think it might be up there tomorrow. Supposedly, I, I have figured out a way to do this to where it can be a quick turnaround and I don't have to ask Twitter for every Twitter space out there. So if I can do that and everything goes well, this will be the um, Wednesday night or Thursday night show um, on our channel because our SEC shows are going to go back to y'all's conference network because I got slapped on the hand by Locked On. Um, so, oh, yeah, 
Yeah, so they they they, they just asked me to take it off of there. I was like, I get it, but they didn't ask yeah. me to stop doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just don't put it on the YouTube page. You're making too much content, Stephen. Yes, yes, I absolutely am going crazy out here. But it was pretty good. Um, it, you guys um, watching the show, I think we're sixth in views and seventh in view time or something like that. It may be flipped awesome. but on YouTube. Yeah, so we're doing quite well. And the people that are ahead of us aren't ahead of us by much. But yeah. it would be Arkansas, Tennessee, Miami, Auburn, maybe Michigan State. I don't know. But that's something we can all be happy with but i do want we've kept you for over 30 minutes and um thank you very much for coming by tonight we're going to do a space next tuesday at um eight o'clock eastern seven central just like we always do and we're going to like figure out a way to get these replays up on the website in a timely manner to where they can do it so for derek and caroline caroline thank you very much um for stopping by tonight yeah thanks for having me this was fun yeah, yeah. And um, look for us on Thursday's show. Me and Carolina are going to do our crossover. Um, so we're going to go back and forth about the game. Derek will be on tomorrow's show. And then um, Friday will be Kara and Tom. So that's the um, plan for this week. Sorry. I uh, hope you enjoyed this. Also, Mr. Reed, I see you. Uh, I'm, I'm not ignoring you. Um, but um, just happened to run out of time a little bit. But anyway, thank you guys. And we will see you next week. All right, y'all have a good one. Thanks, Caroline. Right. Thanks, y'all.